Hi there, I'm Darren Steele, and this is Think Queerly, a humane thought leadership podcast. And today I'm going to be doing work with one of my clients, Ro Rose. Ro, welcome. Hey. So Ro identifies most with they, them pronouns in mixed and public spaces such as this one. They are a white-bodied immigrant and settler from, and I apologize if I pronounce these incorrectly, from Huchin in Northern California, now living on the islands of Joja Gay in Southern Quebec. They are of Celtic, Nordic, and Eastern European Jewry descent. Some terms they often identify with these days, trans-bodied, FTX boy, Riostat, leather dyke non-monogamous, crone in training, and sacred intimate. They offer community care work as a pleasure practitioner, offering erotic coaching, as well as gendering embodiment guidance. You can find them on Instagram at somatic gendering, as well as somatic queering. And I will have that in the show notes so that you can look them up. So thank you again. I really appreciate you uh, agreeing to do this live with me today. I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. We always have fun. So yeah, why not? And we're doing something a little different. You asked me just as we were getting set up. I said, oh, can I sit on my yoga mat? I'll, I'll, I'll be better if I can move around. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, um, I find that when I'm purposefully engaging with my body and allowing myself to, to move, um, I can get to more creative spaces more easily. So I often am brainstorming um, in the midst of uh, dancing or even yoga or even masturbation. Um, I enjoy just listening to my body through engagement. Perfect. And that seems to be very much in alignment with the work that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Could you give... Um, us a preface. So for the audience, the listeners that might not exactly know what you're doing or the training you're taking to elaborate a little bit more. And then what is the question or the idea or the struggle that you're you're coming uh, with today? So I've been sort of stewing in um, questions in, um, I spent a lot of time in meditation and sangha spaces as well as um, somatic learning spaces. I'm currently a student with Somatic Sex Education Institute and um, I've noticed that in these spaces so often I hear invitations for um, down regulation, um, take a breath, come into yourself, calming and um, my understanding of both somatics and meditation is that ultimately we want to take this work off the mat and we want to bring it into our everyday life so that we can build capacity so that we can increase our sort of window of discomfort of tolerance um, and have a, a more broad spectrum to be able to like take a breath take a sacred pause and consider um, and also like if we're excited or if our nervous system is, is jacked up because something that has happened, um, that we can, we can still stay in that space and use those tools at the same time without needing to move away from it. Um, and so in that, I have been 
thinking about bringing in tools of creative therapies. So everything from improv dance to um, creating art, drawing, painting to play, especially in the erotic area, like bringing in laughter and excitation, Mm -hmm. um, not just um, soft breaths to caress ourselves, but um, broadening the spectrum. And so uh, I think my question or my my question is like, how can I marry these pieces that I I love this excitation, which I tend towards um, um, mostly due to, I think, trauma responses, but I think also my neurodiversity and ADHD um, and pairing these sort of creative art therapies with somatics. Um, yeah, and I, I want to find a way to offer um, more invitations for people to to engage in play and excitation mm-hmm. uh, with the lens of mindfulness and somatics. So for those who might not know, tell us what somatics is and how, who you are using somatics with. Mm. Um, so the term soma, it's, it's Latin, it's a sense of the, the body, but it's, it's much more than that. It's the integration and the weaving and the interconnectedness that cannot be pulled apart of our um, our emotions um, that come up from our nervous system that we then label with feelings mm-hmm. and our essence or spirit. And that is up to the individual to decide how they might want to define that piece, mm-hmm. um, as well as our cognitive understandings. Um, and in our very white dominated world, we tend to hierarchize cognitive understandings and um, colonialism has definitely um, pushed to the forefront the separation of mind and body. Um, and somatics is pulling in all of those different pieces and recognizing that they're interwoven. And um, I think similar similar to our, our entire body systems that just cannot be pulled apart and function optimally. <laughs> so we want to gather information from all these pieces and weigh them um, collectively instead of individually. Right. And then who do you work with? Mm. Um, so I work with people who are non-cisgendered identified, meaning they do not um, identify with the gender at which they were assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are wanting to gender um I see that as a verb, um, do their gendering differently in the world um, to what they've simply been handed. So they're finding their own sense of sovereignty and relationship to how they're expressing the way that they feel somatically in the world. So what immediately comes to mind, perhaps, sometimes it's easier to start with the difficulty or the negative or the challenge, right? Um, uh, don't know why that is sometimes that it's so hard to find what might be the easiest solution, but yeah. So what it's interesting that you brought up um, colonialism because, you know, we're, we live in a framework um, where 
you know, feelings aren't necessarily always validated depending on the social environment or uh, familial environments that you find yourself in, right? Um, and then people that are really freely um, touchy-feely, emotive, um, physically expressive are always looked at as, well, queer <laughs> or freaks, right? It's just like, it's too much. Or it's like, wow, you know, the, the 60s, we're in the 60s, you know, <laughs> like hippie movement and all that sort of stuff uh, where that was, um, you know, no war, um, physical liberation, sexual liberation. So, you know, just saying that off the top of my head, I wonder whether there's some aspects of history there that might um, give you some ideas for the play. But what is the heaviest weight that's keeping you on the mat or in the framework of the teachings and is not allowing you or not feeling like you can't jump off and be freely excitatious about what you're feeling? Oh, I love that invitation. Um, <laughs> two things are coming to mind to start. One is like wanting to be trauma aware. Um, I'm a really like fierce believer in um, meeting people where they're at and believing people um, when they say with their body or with their words that, that there's trauma um, there. Because we, we all face trauma to varying degrees. Um, and so having, um, keeping that awareness and holding that gently, um, I want to ensure that my approach is truly trauma-informed. Mm -hmm. And there's always an invitation to come out if it's feeling like too much. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, wanting to empower and entrust that people will listen to themselves to take care of themselves, mm -hmm. that I'm not putting myself in a position where I'm offering to care for somebody. I'm offering them, you know, a supportive guidance for them to listen to themselves and take care of themselves in that process. Um, yeah, wanting to invite people into excitation and also wanting to make it clear that I, I really trust them and empowering them to hopefully trust themselves um, to figure out where where those boundaries, those blurry lines are for them. Yeah. Perhaps an important question to ask you here is why is this meaningful? Uh, to you? What, what does it make of you to have this freedom of being able to sort of get off the mat, as you said, and then, you know, spring into, to freely jump into, to embrace without, um, not so much without a care, but to, yeah, to feel that the freedom to just go into that excitation. What does that mean to you? I'm thinking about the, the works of so many um, black and queer feminist writers that 
just prolific works, um, you know, pointing us towards individual liberation um, and individual sovereignty and how from that place of, of being in regard for ourselves, we can better offer that to others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives us a sense of, I think by, by alchemizing our pain, especially, um, I'll speak to me, like alchemizing my traumas, um, I came out with an understanding that I was a fuck of a lot stronger than um, I was the tools I had been given previously. And I learned a lot of things out of um, so many different experiences. And I think a lot of times we see folks coming out of trauma and um, they they are sort of on a, a hypo freeze response. And I tend to be more in a um, activated response. Um, and I've learned to, to embrace that, uh, my sexual traumas, instead of shutting me off from sexuality, it actually launched me deeper into it, um, through hypersexualization. Um, I think when we see that in children, we think, oh no, something's wrong. And when we see that in adults, um, because of our puritanical past, especially here on Turtle Island, we just label it as sluttiness. <laughs> you know? um, and for me, a, a lens of feminism and queerness really gave me an understanding that like these, these are my responses to harm and um, I can find ways to reclaim that um, through action instead of um, shutdown. Um, yeah, did I answer the question? Circle me back in. Does it feel like you've answered the question in a way that really resonates with you? Like, do you feel, um, if let's say a client was sitting across from you and they asked you the same question, do you do you think they would understand? No, I tend to roam around a lot. So. <laughs> um, hmm. I think I might boil it down to I um, I tend towards alchemizing pain into excitation instead of freeze. Okay. And I want to make sure that um, if, if we're getting a lot of support for the people who go into freeze, that I want to be part of the support that's also helping those people who go into excitation um, so that we can create a more broad spectrum of um, support no matter no matter where you're, you're following and often I mean often those are woven together and we get it sort of combinations at the same time but um, yeah what you said there is interesting the way that's why I asked the question as I did because it doesn't really matter to me whether I think you answered the question um, in this in the, like in the, from a, the coaching perspective it by asking you the, by re-asking you, by reframing the question, you basically said this, I alchemize pain into excitation instead of freeze. And it's an, that is really nice because that's your distillation of the bigger idea, which, which you need to get to that distillation, right? Um, and 
that's a really wonderful place. I think that's a wonderful place to start from, especially if somebody presents to you uh, inquiring about working with you um, and they tell you, and they, they might be your ideal person to work with. It's like, I always freeze up when. And that while respecting their boundaries and while meeting them where they're at with their trauma could be the breakthrough they need when they are able to trust you in the processing of the work, the somatic therapy that you can present and any other aspects um, along the journey. What is the core value for you about that statement, that work to alchemize pain and to excitation instead of freeze? Mm. Okay, notes. Mm. Maybe start with a feeling. Maybe there's a feeling somewhere in your body that resonates with that. That might lead to the value. I feel like curiosity mm-hmm. is is pretty primary to that. Um, and flexibility, flexibility, like the releasing our hold on what should be like, just, I think of like the, those little gopher games where you've got the like whack-a-mole, that's it, whack-a-mole, I think of whack-a-mole and, um, that coming up just being like no oh I love that game releasing our hold on what should be yeah shoulds that to me is is the crux of queerness is questioning shoulds all the fucking time like they come at us from every angle you know not being a therapist but you know aware of certain things, reading certain things, thinking of what you've just said here. Um, This aspect of holding on to pain, um, holding on to trauma, which doesn't necessarily mean you'll ever be rid of it. It just means how can you be flexible and yielding to the experience while being able to evolve and better manage how you show up in the world and how you more freely experience life. Yeah, I think that that piece right there, that little nugget in there of um, not necessarily moving through it, not healing, not trying to like learn how to not have it, but just like learning to accept that like, oh, this is present. Yeah. Okay, well, what am I going to do from this place? <laughs> you know, because that's that is that is where we have sovereignty in that moment. So. What am I going to do from this place? I think might be the, the, the core question to start from to address your reason for this session. Think out loud on that. (laughs) One thing I'm enjoying is like, when I'm seeing a somatic exercise modeled and I'm thinking I did, I did um, Hatha yoga 
for, for many, many years. And one thing I, I always loved was that we were, we were given invitations to, um, to release tension if something felt like too much. And we were given invitations to increase the pose if it felt comfortable. Um, and thinking about that as like gooey stretchiness, you know, and then to come back into our bodies as we were. And so when I'm seeing somatic exercises and I'm seeing these invitations to downregulate, I'm starting to think about like, well, what would be what would be the invitation if we were to take that towards excitation? If we were to kind of amp up our nervous system with this exercise, like what would that look like? Um, well, that's fun. Yeah, that's lots of fodder right there. Using the metaphor of a comfort zone just to make this in a you know a simpler language, so to speak. Um, stay in your comfort zone, your stay in your circle of, let's say, safety. Um, that's human nature, right? We don't want to, we're looking for prediction. We we want prediction and response. And that's what makes us feel safe. That what's that's what makes us not feel under threat. And you know, if the comfort zone is this big, and you know, if one of my little fingers here is me at the edge of the comfort zone, you know, it's it's like you have to sort of fall back out of it a little bit so that you can actually start stretching um, while you're still in it until it gets just a little bit bigger and it's like small steps knowing that I think this resonates with what you said knowing that you can shrink back if you need to yeah I'm thinking about work by Catherine Jesse where it's like you, you're, you're in your zone of comfort and then you're in your zone of learning where we, because we, if we're engaging our body and our nervous systems into, into or beyond comfort, then that's where we, we have space to learn because there's something different happening. Um, and that's where, that's where I, I like, I have so much love for somatics of like noticing where those, that sort of brackish water is that it gets mixed and, and figuring out like how do you how do you dance you know into those waters and then come back to safety and then like yeah that piece yeah. you know even in in yoga or in any kind of exercise uh, lifting weights or going for a run there's always a warm-up to wake up the body to prime the body and if you're if you've received some good teaching, then hopefully you've been made aware. It's like, okay, well, how do I check in with the various parts of my body so that you think, oh, wow, like I'll just give you an example. When I was taking up running in August, when I was living in Montreal for the, for the month, um, you know, not a runner. And I was just taking it very careful. And there were some days like, oh, I'm running like, you know, Frankenstein, so damn heavy. Okay. We're not going to do this because I can't seem to go lighter, which means if I keep going, I'm probably going to hurt myself. So similarly, how do you engage then your client in that playfulness, uh, but at a lower frequency and letting them know that it's safe to experiment? What, what, tools or guidance or props or clothing or other things can you have them bring 
that make them feel more comfortable in this proposed expansion? Yes, more comfortable or at least less uncomfortable. I, I love this idea of a warm up. Like, how do we warm up our nervous systems so that we can exercise them? Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of ritualizing um, this work. Yeah. So, setting intentions. Um, and containerizing when we're in sort of like lab time. Often I use like lab time um, when I'm playing with partners to be like, let's have some lab time where we just kind of figure out what we're doing, you know, and get and like play with it. And then we can like sink into it without having to fuss with like, is, is this right? Is this what you're asking for? Like, is it, you know, and I, I like kind of applying that in the same way of, uh, this is this is exercise lab playtime, you know, for our nervous systems to build them back up or to um, or to calm them down, you know, whatever is needed in the moment, based on what's going on. So, yeah, warm up. Hmm. Well, in a sense, what you're presenting now on the mat. Um, not sure what you're doing with your foot. But, you know, you're being relaxed. You're, you told me at the beginning you wanted to be, I'm using my own words, but you wanted to be more present by being able uh, to move around mm-hmm. and that this would give you creative focus and more energy. So whether you're working with someone in person or whether you're Zooming with a person, same thing here and going through this process. Um, I know for me to record this properly, this show, I need to be here in front of the mic. And it's always a little uncomfortable for me because I have to lean forward a little bit. So I have proper positioning, but then I feel I have a sore back afterward. So this would not be a good therapy kind of or somatic session for me because I'm holding tension in my body to get the best end result for this particular product, a podcast. So that's a good example of what not to do. So perhaps for you, how might you engage or invite the the person in physical practices to start the ritual? Mm. Um, I mean, to start just getting somebody comfortable with being in either their own space or someone else's like invitations to what, what could you adjust right now to be more comfortable or less uncomfortable? Like, let's take a moment to do that. When I teach a class, I, I go through like a 15 minute intro and then I'm like, okay, now we're taking a break. Like first thing we're taking a break. Like now that you know the lay of the land reset, like, figure out what you need to, to get and show up in this space with as much as you want to. Um, and I think similarly, I, I recently met with a client where they sort of, they laid some stuff out in advance. And then I just asked like, you know, tell me about your space. Like, why did you lay stuff out like this? Like what, what, what is it for? Like, um, what is it you want from this positioning of, of 
mat, like things like that. And that gave me a lot of information. Um, and I loved that they like took the time to like figure out their space in, in advance. Um, and then we sort of figured it out together. I was like, okay, so we, we, you know, we're talking about doing these things. Do you think you might want to shift something here? And they were like, oh, actually. Um, so it was fun to be able to engage in somebody else's space where they already felt comfortable to just start pulling things out and moving things around as opposed mm-hmm. to like coming into an office. If I invite them to move stuff around, like it, it feels a little awkward and a little, yeah, you know, like it takes a minute and, um, usually I try to just model it by like starting to move stuff myself. Like, mm. you know, this can get moved around and I'll move it and this can get moved around. I want you to grab that. Like, where would you put it? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I mean, engaging my body to, um, encourage them to feel more comfortable to engage their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, there's certainly an aspect in human behavior, um, um, you know, it's similar but different, whether it be one-on-one, two people, or whether it be in a small group, uh, of mirroring, um, you know, it, it, think back to, you know, elementary school or even wherever else, you know, sitting in rows in chairs, and maybe you have a very engaged teacher that like walks up and down, but you're, you're stuck in your chair. And unless you have a teacher that says, you know, screw this format, let's put you in a circle. Let's put some of you at desks, you know, let's get up, you know, or you don't have to sit at your desk. Um, you know, that's something I loved about grad school where I was in a very small department and it was like four or five people in on, you know, uh, a session or a class and a a round table. And we always were taking turns presenting. And while it was still formal and academic, it lacked a formality of the person at the front sort of dictating in all senses of the word, (laughs) not only the lesson, but what needed to be done. So I see that from what you've said as one aspect of what you can do is by the more physically moving and engaging and excitatious you are is an invitation to the other person to possibly mirror some of that energy. Yeah, there's all, I mean, there's also a need for titration in that because I know that my ease of excitation can be very overwhelming for other people sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's one of the pieces that I'm I'm just trying to figure out in my own scope of practice is like, I'm able to work with people who um, like I'm able to, thankfully I've kind of built that skill set, and, and usually I can, I can notice quickly and respond by pulling back and, and making more space. Um, and at the same time, like my scope of practice is such that I actually don't really want to work in that area. So I'm kind of figuring out the borderlands of, of how I want to work with people and with whom I want to work. Um, and so I, I definitely want to um, put a focus on folks who are more comfortable with excitation, even if they need warm up, um, even if they need, you know, lots of invitations, um, but they're not in a, a, a free state, in, in which case I will likely refer them to a different practitioner, you know. Um, yeah. 
So sometimes what could be helpful is to start like imagining what would be an ideal scenario. Um, you know, knowing that it might not always work out the way you want, but um, in some of the questions and concerns you've raised about, oh, I might be too like overly excited for some people um, or what my limitations are knowing who I will work with, who I can't work with or who I'll refer to. What if you can start painting the picture of what one of these sessions would look like ideally? Uh, well, one of the things I've kind of been daydreaming about is like um, like a practice deck, almost like mm, almost like a tarot deck, where you have these different archetypes, yeah. and and we can play games with it, where where we pull a sort of like archetype out. Um, let's say like um, sad clown. You know, and then we can figure out like, well, how do we want to engage with this archetype of sad clown, you know, and, and maybe it's by just sitting and thinking about if I was going to embody that archetype, what do I sense in my body? Like it could be really simple like that, but it could also be like, well, here's a, a chest with the clothes and you can put on a little neck ring and a nose and, and you know, we can paint little teardrops and you know we can do the whole shebang kind of thing um because i think that engaging in archetypes we can kind of notice those threads within ourselves um and i think the more that we can embody that um the deeper it resonates in our bones so that we can kind of pull, pull apart those pieces of like where where do I feel sad clown in my body, like in my soma, like, and then maybe we can notice later something happens and we notice those same sensations come up and we're like, oh, I think I have sad, sad clown coming up for me. Um, so it creates a sort of like archetypal container that we might be able to point to because I think a lot of us have struggles having a sense of what's going on in our body. Right. But if we practice connecting to those, then I think that I know that we can more easily see them when they come up in a moment where we're not looking for them. Right. Um, right. That's yeah. interesting. Um, and you, would you do this random or would you also sometimes look at wanting to perhaps go through a couple of like key archetypes or that you may or may not um, figure out might be the dominant archetypes of the person you're working with or what what comes to mind there yeah I, that's why I was thinking of like a card deck um, as opposed to like a workbook because mm -hmm. I mean it's it's hard to deconstruct the hierarchization that we do especially in a book that is left to write <laughs> so I was thinking of like a deck of cards for that same reason of like well, you can just draw any card, you know, or, or an array of cards, or you can be like, actually like this archetype, I want to engage with this piece um, because I, I, let's say, um, let's say when I get clap, when I get sad, I act kind of goofy. Mm -hmm. huh. Well, let's engage with your sad clown and see what that feels like in your body. Does it match with these moments when you're getting goofy and you know you're sad and it doesn't feel like it makes sense to you. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. 
Um, maybe pieces do, maybe other pieces don't. Um, ooh, I like this idea. Hmm. Well, I, I find it especially interesting for the non-linearity aspect of it that you describe. You know, it's not a book where you're going from left to left, right. It's not hierarchical. Um, <clears throat> it's definitely not prioritizing uh, one archetype over another. And, if, you know, if anyone has ever done any kind of archetype um, work trying to discern, you know, what are your uh, work archetypes, personality archetypes, what have you, right? Um they can be really thoughtful processes, but this, you know, whether you're, I guess, picking one at random or whether you just like spread them out on the table and then allow the person to be attracted to um, whatever resonates with them. Now that is like an absolute playfulness um, and in play is the unexpected. So using that format of the cards allows for the unexpected allows for the play um everybody thinks cards solitaire poker some sort of a game you know whether or not they've had fun with it or not before um it, it's still a game yeah yeah that piece um, i think that's what you asked um when you initially emailed it's like you know, how do i gamify this yeah, in a non-winning kind of way. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the playfulness piece in particular. Um, because I see so much out there for um, creative therapies that are sort of games for children. And I don't see it so much for adults. Um, and I think that our our loss of playing is such a tragedy um, it's something that BDSM really gifted me mm-hmm. was um, the immense opportunity to just think creatively and play with my body in, in relation to other people's bodies. And, and often I, I really enjoy solo play. So just playing on my own, but um, yeah, the, the constant invitations to creativity um, with my body I would like to see more of that in the world. I'd like to support that. This might be off um, course, but you know, you with you, what you just said there. What if you had more than one type of card deck? What if one other card deck, and this might come later after more work with the person, is more about um, aspects of sexuality or you know i just thought like bdsm and play and uh setting up scenes i just thought you know what if one of the cards was a big dildo um or what if another one was some sort of like a bondage scene now like that's an example where that could be uh not appropriate for somebody who has particular trauma but it could be very appropriate in a different situation i don't know yeah i love that idea because now i'm thinking about like um A somatic deck for breath like that is just its own universe right there easily you know um things that are labeled as kinky like that is definitely its own universe um engaging with our inner child like that is its own breath so i, I love this idea of um 
kind of deeper diving into different pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even being able to pull pieces from different decks, you know. Let me just check in here with you now. How, where are we at in this this process of sort of getting to where you were hoping to get to with your initial uh, uh, idea? Are we on the right track? Are we just discovering? This is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I felt like before I just kind of have, I see a shape in the distance, <laughs> you know, and now I feel like um, it's starting, I'm starting to see the form of it, which is nice. Um, I also like the idea, one one thing that did appeal to me of like having a book was the ability to more easily um, offer invitations for um, increasing discomfort or increasing comfort um, with each of the exercises or let's say each of the archetypes. Um, Uh, I just sort of had an idea when you said that if, if, if it were, it might not work so well as a digital book, but it it could be if you sort of uh, forced the layout in a certain way but it could be on the one side, how to increase discomfort on the opposing side, how to decrease discomfort or how to increase comfort mm-hmm. so that there might be even more of a safety in that presentation. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ah, it's, it's kind of like a mythical quest. Do I take the high road or do I take the low road? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and there's a gamification aspect right there. Yeah, well, where am I at in this moment, you know? And I think that that would lend itself to being able to see our cycles as well. Right. Like, um, I because of testosterone, I don't bleed anymore, but I still have a fucking cycle, you know? I track that shit, and um, I really work with it from my scheduling in school and work to my scheduling with, with lovers and friends. Um, and... Um, even my grocery shopping, it's in my calendar. Like I, I order groceries based on my cycle. Right, yeah. um, I ain't going to the fucking store today. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like being able to engage with those things over time, we would actually learn a lot, you know, yeah. about, and not just that kind of cycle, but also um, the cycle of the year, especially like, Having moved to Canada, I've learned so much about seasonal cycles. I, living in the Southern United States in California, I knew nothing about, I didn't have to, you know? Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for noticing variability. Well, you know, just case in point, November hits and suddenly both my partner and I are like carbs, carbs, carbs. <laughs> Carbs, give me carbs. I'm so hungry. One more potatoes and chips and pizza. <laughs> and it's hibernation mode. Um, but another, you know, piece, like physical piece that might uh, bode well for you is just what you said here, an actual calendar as well. Um, you know, something that somebody can use to track or something that somebody might um, use to 
um, it could be prescriptive, um, not not in a dogmatic sort of way, but in a suggestive way. Like, okay, so on you know on the twenty eighth day, practice this, um, try this, and and it could be like, and if that doesn't feel right, or then that's the option for the book. So on you know on day twenty seven, turn to page twenty seven. Am I going to increase discomfort or am I going to increase comfort? And there's the practice in that. And it's not, it's only prescriptive in that it's the limitation of having this calendar and producing it. But, you know, the person could decide to turn to another day, but then there could be journaling exercises, um, which I know is work I think you have your your clients do as part of this um, tracking of cycles as well. Mm -hmm. So you've got a calendar, you've got cards, you've got a journaling process. Mm. I'm thinking that all of these pieces could be folded into an app, mm-hmm. in fact. Um, I really like tangible, though. I really like tangible. And at the same time, like, I appreciate the ease of yeah. digital. So, Well, you could have both. And, you know, I don't know. I just had a vision just knowing you of almost like a scrapbook. <gasps> putting things in like it's like so you're doing work with somebody in october and as they they find a beautiful leaf and you take them through an exercise of experiencing the beauty of the color of this leaf and there's kind of a sensuality to nature and how it changes its form um i don't know oh my god that's like that would be a dream come true if i could do like collaborative art journals with my people that would be mm, that would be so fun and neat yes i love that idea (laughs) it just reminds me of i had a very short um i don't know 15 years ago i did like a continue adult continuing education somewhere out uh rural york area uh like a drawing class um it was charcoal and pencil and um unfortunately the teacher that was teaching had to leave halfway through because they got a job that they had been so desirous of having so you know good for them but you know i'd always been very self-critical and had a very bad negative art teacher and just it just showed me that like really anyone can be an artist with with training and it's like anything you know there will be some people that are just going to stand out more than others but i was surprised and even when the replacement teacher came in and and did things completely different and i was disrupted i I thought like what this person is going to be like and um, what he said is I'm going to model and he, and he did like 30 or 60 second poses. And he said, what we're going to do is squiggling. So it's like, you took your pencil and you just had to quickly move it to try and sketch the form. And we did, you know, like eight or 10 different forms. And again, by the eighth or 10th, I'm like, holy shit, this looks so great. And so I'm just mentioning that as maybe that gives you further idea of like, it's dynamic it's quick that adds play to it um it doesn't give the person doing the practice too much time to think instead they're in the moment that piece squiggling oh my aunt used to take me squiggling yeah (laughs) that's awesome Um, yeah well then there's the the question of like Helping people do this with an eye for um, 
their erotic pleasure, um, sexual or not, mm-hmm. and then their um, gendering desires, <laughs> which I feel like sussing out those those ways of engagement will be super enlivening. Um, That's why I think the scrapbook might be a very useful because there may be images. Uh, that people want to cut out of a magazine or something that they draw or um, seeing some of the things you're doing on Instagram uh, made me think that there, there, there are probably ideas that you you may have already done that I haven't seen or you may come up with that could have some sort of a physical manifestation, some sort of a keepsake. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if it's just a journal entry about something that somebody has lost, something physical, but that gave them some connection uh, to their gendering or to their sexual um, or memory. Mm-hmm. What? This is random. Mm-hmm. 12 years ago, <laughs> a little short lived blog, and part of me wishes I had kept doing it where I was writing dirty fiction. Dirty fiction. Oh, it was so good. I loved it. Um, And I I really needed it at the time because I was also having a lot of sex at the time. And I was really enjoying then fictionalizing uh, some of the situations of building upon the experience um, and eroticizing it even more and painting it with colors for what I would have liked it to have been more of, or just trying to as accurately depict it because it was so fabulous in the first place. <laughs> so there's there's a playfulness in writing these stories. They do construction in the middle of our podcast. <laughs> so I, you know, I mentioned that aspect of like the, the dirty storytelling. It was something for me, um, but there's a playfulness in that. That's another level of engagement that might get into the gendering that would get into the, and I don't know how you could facilitate that. Well, so that would be, I do. Okay, good. (laughs) The goal is to come back into our body. So how would we enact out that scene? Mm -hmm. Even if we don't like follow it down all the rabbit holes, or maybe we do. Um, I'm offering a, range of service but like being able to enact out fantasies um in a in a set container of safety you know like in that um we're not in that learning zone like we're not activated we're just playing at it in a sense of safety um in order to go into like okay but i actually want to do this with somebody so let me just like start by writing it out and then maybe talking it out, maybe read it to somebody, let somebody else read it and talk about it. And then you read it to them, you know, and then you read it together, you know, like you can titrate it out from there, which is really a fun idea. Mm -hmm. No, it's interesting. There's a lot of different ideas that, you know, you've already generated here. Um, To have like as, as toys in the toy chest. Yeah, yeah. I can pick up this one, or I can pick up the cards, or I can pick up the scrapbook, or I can pick up like the pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always coming back to like, how can we do this in a way that is engaging our body? <clears throat> and I think there's there's so much opportunity for that 
in here. So that's really exciting. What about imagery in the sense of self-portraits, self-erotic photography, or whether or not that that person that you're working with is, is able to identify the part of their body or part of somebody else's body that brings them pleasure? Right. Yeah, I, was, um, I had a great conversation with a couple of other somatic sex educators recently about the, the Goop series. And there, there's a moment in there where they do like mirror work mm-hmm. um, mm. and they just put their whole bodies in front of the mirror, which is actually really, really confronting. I think for a lot of people, like talk about going from comfort to learning to like, you know, discomfort to way more. So um, we were thinking about like ways to titrate that out. And one of um, the people mentioned that um, for an, an art um, class, they didn't have a full length mirror. And so they had done like captions of their body. And so that could be one way to be like, okay, I have a small mirror. What's something of your body that, you know, you feel you're in that comfortable space to look at. Okay. Now, like how would we engage with that area where it's a little uncomfortable, like, like a four out of a 10, not like a seven, you know, mm-hmm. um, and practice kind of titrating out, getting more and more comfortable engaging with different parts of our bodies, just like in scope instead of in mass. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's a really fun idea. That's a cool thing. So, and the same thing for like erotic photography. Some people are like, I am not comfortable, even though it's only ever going to sit on their own phone. They're like, absolutely not. But if you started with a tiny snapshot, you know, and then I was thinking like, well, what if, what if they were posing with the mirror and instead of holding a camera, I was just holding the mirror so I could move the mirror around them so they could look at different angles. You know, a lot of, something that people don't realize maybe if they haven't done like sexting or sharing erotic photography or, or being in front of a camera in that way. It's just that like, we all have different angles that we are going to find more appealing and it, it's actually work to figure out what those angles are. So if you have somebody that can help you figure out the angles where you don't even have to do the movement, you can just get in a place where you feel comfortable and someone else can, you know, arrange it. That's something I started doing erotic photography was the first sex work I did. And what I loved was that I had really amazing photographers that were able to see my angles and tell me how to move. And so I learned what was going to work well for the camera by the photography photographers teaching me. Um, And you could do that without a camera, which would, I think, feel really nice for somebody who's trying to get comfortable there that's interesting like a couple of number of ideas that come to mind uh like you said almost as if you're pretend photographing and directing them to move is is a wonderful act of playfulness and allowing them to get more and more engaged and fun and flirtatious and however wherever they need to go um and i love what you said we all have different angles that we feel are appealing. And I mean, angles applies to so many aspects of your work, right? Angles of approach, angles of perspective, 
Um, and what's tangential, yet another angle to this particular practice or that particular practice or this feeling or this idea of gender or this idea of sexuality. Um, and then going into the mirror, I thought like, you know, imagine, you know, like a full length mirror, just buy a cheap one and you, you try and break it into five or six pieces very carefully. And instead of hanging it like up on the wall, you take like the top piece and put it over here. And then you put like maybe a middle piece further down the wall. So you have like a big wall, but then the person walks across and only sees a part of them in this one little spot. That's delightful. And you work through that mirroring for that part of the body. Or my last thought based on something you said is like, they take pictures of safe extremities, a hand, a foot, an ear, um, a shoulder, uh, a thigh. And they, they write an ode or a sonnet or a, a, a love poem. Yeah. to that part of their body or how they would like that part of their body touched, appreciated, seen. Yeah, noticing what we feel in those different parts of the bodies to start with. Mm-hmm. Like, and not just feel, because like first, like what are the sensations that are in that? Like my, my right shoulder often has pain. So when I think of this shoulder, I think discomfort and pain and sleepless nights. Um, and there's this tension and there's this pulling down my back to my hip. Um, and there's always this twisting. Like those are just sensations that I get. And then I have all these feelings about it. Like I'm angry about the shoulder being angry all the time. I also have a lot of compassion for my poor body that I've put through a lot. You know? like, right. So like the sensations that we um, know that we associate with bodies or maybe don't even know that we associate with them and the feelings that we assign or are attached to those sensations. Um, and then reimagining, querying our understanding of how we craft those stories and subsequent feelings about those body parts. Right. And recreating those stories through different exposures and different um, what did you say? Angles. Angles. Yeah. And re-anchor new stories to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the broken mirror bits is kind of interesting metaphorically. In in possibly as a as a way of like discussing, you know, if someone presents with, well, this is how I feel about, right. or this has been what has been triggering to me. Mm-hmm. So if through whether it be the real piece of mirror or whether it be metaphorical from an angle, how can you look at that differently? So if somebody else was looking at your reflection in the mirror of that particular part of you, that would be the tangential perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now I'm thinking about like notes and different like in a 3d sense and like different angles and um yeah like we pass through this understanding when we look at that one like what directionality do we take to connect one node to another and how can we reconnect them in different ways and form new associations 
And that's, that's what I love about somatics is if we start by noticing what's coming up and then noticing how we label it, then we've, we've named it. So now that we have the power to be able to change that. Yeah. Yeah. Now with some of these ideas, you try one-on-one -on -one or would you like workshop like a, a particular idea to see how it plays out literally and figuratively as a possible tool for you to how would you bring this into some of them would be really helpful to do like one-on-one -on -one, and other ones would be more helpful to be like hey group everybody go do this and try it and, and then let's share so does this feel like there's enough Maybe not enough. Um, is this getting into the the, the playful, uh, non-winning gamification uh, that you wanted to come up with? Yeah, because I I wanted more um, somatic engagement activities um, <clears throat> that offer invitations um, to push you know beyond comfort. Um, more easily and I'm I'm confident that play is the route that I want to take invitations to push beyond comfort so this goes back to I alchemize pain into excitation instead of freeze mm. you know just noting for me what were key things that you brought up it's almost like one of the uh, purposes or missions or goals of your work is to alchemize pain into excitation instead of freeze and then there's the how the, the tools or the processes processes that you might use. So like gamification, um, the intentionality is to push beyond comfort, but to still provide the way out, the safety and the options. Uh, the intensity, how much discomfort do you feel you can approach today? And just making that, that container, as you said, that safe container. No, I'm just, I'm getting quiet because like my brain is just like firing at a ridiculous place. <laughs> it's just like, Perfect. so, um, yeah. <laughs> Would this be a good place to wrap up? So especially if you have ideas and you want to just jot them down. Yeah, I think I want to hit my whiteboard and just play. Perfect. Perfect. What's, what's maybe been uh, the most insightful? Ooh. Mm. I really love the idea of um, like a collection of cards that we can pull from to play with um, in different titrated ways. And I love the idea of like um, increased comfort and decreased comfort as, as being, yeah, opportunities. Yeah. both options kind of like on both sides of the page i like visually i think that's just fantastic yeah 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 i do too i do too all right do you feel good there yeah excellent awesome. yeah thank you i really appreciate you being open and vulnerable and sharing all of this with me and with the listeners for think queerly and this always a learning experience i love this journey and this bit of collaborative effort with what you've come up here today mm -hmm. yeah so helpful that's 
got a lot more directionality to work with now. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks.